0: This week on the Iowa Watch Connection.
1: I didn't feel comfortable coming forward and I know of a lot of other people who have been very not comfortable coming forward because we don't know who to go to.
0: The intentions are good, but how effective are sexual assault prevention and reporting programs on Iowa campuses? Do
2: we still have the online
1: training thing?
0: Mm, I'm not
2: sure if we still have. I'm not sure
1: if we still do the online training.
0: Lack of data adds to the problem.
1: We think it's important to get ourselves out in front of parents students as early as orientation to talk about our policies and our resources.
0: Measuring Effectiveness of College Assault Prevention Programs, our topic this week.
3: The Iowa Watch Connection is presented by the Iowa Center for Public Affairs Journalism, online at iowawatch.org. Here is Jeff Stein.
0: Securing a college education and coming of age is hard enough under the best of circumstances. Making sure the climate on a college campus is safe only adds to the challenges. Despite faculty and staff efforts to educate students about sexual assault prevention and reporting, colleges and universities in Iowa struggle to measure how effective these initiatives are on their campuses. A group of student reporters set out to answer the effectiveness question. Iowa Watch Executive
4: Director and Editor Lyle Muller has our report. Each year, graduating journalism students at Simpson College tackle an Iowa Watch reporting project. The emerging journalists this year, Tamisha Derby, Brittany Johnson, and Laura Wiersma, wanted to know how effective sexual assault and harassment awareness programming at Iowa college campuses is. They found faculty and staff efforts to educate students about sexual assault prevention and reporting, but ran into a problem measuring the effectiveness. The reason? Administrators who deal with these kinds of matters struggle to find adequate data for such a measure. Reasons vary, but this makes it difficult to know whether or not more sexual assaults and harassment are being reported because of increased knowledge of reporting procedures or because more of these instances are happening on campuses. For example, the University of Dubuque reports no rapes in 2014, 2015, and 2016, the years for the most recent data that are available. You want to think that shows campus safety, but wonder if people who have been raped are keeping silent. Here's Liz Fleming, a 23-year-old Dubuque native and a graduate student at the University of Dubuque this past spring. She spoke with the Simpson Reporters.
1: Um, From my experience with sexual assault, be it I was 15 years old, I didn't feel comfortable coming forward, and I know of a lot of other people who have been very not comfortable coming forward, because one, we don't know who to go to, and second, there's that stigma of I don't want to ruin this person's life, everyone else will think I'm lying. All of the popular stigmas that you hear in the news of people not coming forward applies to people in small town Dubuque
4: as well. Rick Murfeld, the University of Dubuque's Assistant Dean and Director of Residence Life, has a different take. He says his university does plenty to raise awareness about curbing sexual assault and harassment. As the university's Title IX coordinator, he is responsible for making sure the university adheres to federal law, Title IX, that prohibits sex discrimination at learning institutions. He says the university does a lot of programming throughout the year, both in-house and with off-campus resources. It starts with fall orientation, with large group presentations, and with sexual assault awareness, and also response teams. Off-campus resources talk with students in classes about the nature of consent and those healthy relationships, Merfeld says. Fleming says she doesn't recall any training programs about sexual assault or harassment awareness. That might be because she transferred, she acknowledged, while telling the Simpson reporters she didn't know whom at the university she would go to with a harassment complaint. The Simpson reporters, by the way, made a check at their own school in Indianola. Here they are with a group of students they convened to ask several questions. In this snippet, the reporters asked students if they think adequate follow-up to programming exists at Simpson.
2: Do you think there's adequate follow-up for the programming that Simpson does?
5: In terms of... In terms
2: of... So there's, a, there's welcome week during freshman year, mm-hmm. and you get the, everybody's required to go to that. Mm-hmm. And then is there anything following that that is required by Simpson students to do? Do we still have the online training thing? I'm not sure if we still have... I'm not sure if we still do the online training. I know that something we started this year is all athletic teams are required to have an MVP training. Mm -hmm. So I know that that's something. Mm -hmm. I know that we used to have the online training. I'm not sure if they're still doing that, though.
1: I'm not sure.
2: I know that some organizations like the Greeks, um, fraternity and sorority life, tend to try to do some sort of training... But other than, like, open events, I'm not really sure how much requirement there is. It could potentially be helpful, and I know we kind of front-load it with the It's On Us performance at the beginning of the year, Um, but for future, it could be potentially helpful to have more follow-up programming, at least in the first-year areas. I don't think
5: that's something we really do at this point.
4: Reported rapes at Simpson increased from 1 in 2014 to 2 in 2015 to 8 in 2016. Students at Simpson volunteer for a group called Sexual Assault Response Advocate, or S-A-R-A, SARA, to serve as a confidential resource for students. The group also provides programming about sexual assault. Over at Drake University in Des Moines, three rapes were reported in 2016, the same number as in 2014. The school reported six in 2015. Katie Overberg, the university's Title IX coordinator, says she and her colleagues start awareness training in June.
1: We do um, sessions. Uh, that We do two sessions every, so there's five orientation programs in June. Each time we offer two sessions where they can come in and learn about our prevention and response, so we start there. Uh, we also have an orientation fair where we're, we have a table and a poster with all of our services And then we also meet with the parents in the parent kind of Q&A session where I can talk a little bit about what we do and they get the chance to very informally ask me questions. Um, It's funny, a lot of parents don't ask questions in that (laughs) setting, um, but they will kind of find me at that orientation fair and and ask Mm -hmm. me some, some real specific concerns. So we think it's important to get ourselves out in front of parents students as early as orientation to talk about our policies and our resources.
4: Officials interviewed at Iowa colleges and universities said they have no way to track what drives statistics on their particular campuses. Determining how well they reach students is difficult, Overberg said.
1: You know, I, what I, one of the things I worry about a lot on all campuses and with anything, whether it's gun violence or, or sexual assault, is are we just preaching to the choir over and over again? Are mm-hmm. we talking to the same 20 dedicated, passionate people? Or are mm-hmm. we actually reaching those other people, like the ones you're talking about, the people who do need to get some self-awareness? You know, remembering that on a campus, you know, you have a couple thousand folks who grew up in different lives, and they were, mm-hmm. they were molded for 18 years in, a, in one way. And now we're, we're going to throw everyone together <laughs> and say mm-hmm. live together and date together and, and treat each other well, and everybody's got different views of that.
4: Overberg's advice is to be transparent about the school's crime statistics.
1: So there was a time not that long ago that, like, admissions people um, would not have wanted anybody to talk about anything ugly at orientations, you know, or don't put anything out there about anything that's bad happening on your campuses because you actually want students to come, like you said. Mm-hmm. I think the time and the expectations of parents and then some informed students has changed. You know, so that the, the first time I was at orientation was the summer that the Baylor report came out about the problems at the Baylor Athletic Department. Mm-hmm. And I had parents coming up to me wanting to know all about Baylor and what how are we different and what's different here. So I think transparency, you have to assume that you have an informed parent and and students coming to your school now. And so they're expecting that you know what you're doing and that they're also going to expect that you have some problems.
4: Special thanks to the Simpson reporters, Tamisha Derby, Brittany Johnson, and Laura Wiersma for compiling this report. I'm Lyle Muller for the Iowa Watch Connection. And
0: Lyle Muller joins me now. Lyle, this is not the first collaboration between Simpson
4: College and Iowa Watch. The story is the result of a long-term relationship we've had now with journalism teachers at Simpson College down at Indianola. For five years, Simpson students who are on the journalism track have had to take in their last semester a seminar-like class that involves doing an Iowa Watch reporting project that gives the students the experience of going deep into a project and also seeing their work published at the end of this. And of course it's nice for Simpson too because they get some recognition out of that program. Back in 2014, we did the first one with Brian Stefan when he was the instructor for the class. He's a professor down there at Simpson. And it was a good story about the hidden cost of traveling overseas when students get over there and then realize they didn't bring enough money. We've done others, too, on hidden illnesses that students feel that they have to deal with when they're in class and a number of other projects. And this year's, of course, was a real good one, especially when you think of the Me Too movement that's underway and the concern that exists over the problems with sexual assault of women and sexual harassment, but also on college campuses. This has been a continuing issue. So the three-student journalists who worked on the project did a nice job of branching out, talking at a couple of campuses, trying to find out what's going on there and just gauge whether or not the training that goes on for sexual assault and harassment awareness is effective. So the result of that is a good one. Mark Siebert was the instructor this year. He gave them a grade. The students graduated. We published their story, and we produced a good journalistic piece that people can chew on and try to look at in in a way that allows them to perhaps find solutions to this problem or at least advance the conversation so that you can put a dent into it. Lyle Muller, thanks.
0: When we come back, I'll talk with the three student reporters who tackled this extensive and sensitive topic. That's next as the Iowa Watch Connection continues. Welcome back to the Iowa Watch Connection. I'm Jeff Stein. They've now graduated and moved on past the college campus, but shortly before their graduation in early May, I spoke with the three student journalists whose reporting led to the series of Iowa Watch stories on the topic. Would you first of all just introduce yourself and tell me where you're from?
6: I'm Tanisha Derby and I am from Grinnell, Iowa. I'm
5: Renee Johnson, and I'm from Crescent, Iowa. I'm Laura Wersma, and I'm from Fulton, Illinois.
0: So, Tamesha, tell me first of all, how is it that the three of you got together and agreed on this as the topic for your semester-long reporting project?
6: Sure, so we brainstormed a lot of different ideas. Um, and being uh, three women at a college campus, we were most passionate about sexual assault education and its effectiveness on college campuses. Um, So it was pretty simple, actually, to narrow down our topic and figure out what we wanted to uh, report about.
0: Brittany, is this something that you thought you knew what the results would prove and then were just proven out? Or was this something where you started doing the reporting and were very surprised at what you found?
5: I think I had like a preconceived notion of what we would find when we went out and did our research. Like I wasn't surprised when we were like finding that people weren't really sure if it was effective or not. Um, So I don't, that wasn't really my preconceived notion, but it definitely didn't surprise me when we found out.
0: Laura, as you were doing the reporting, I just asked Brittany if you were surprised at what you wound up finding. Is this the kind of story that was easy to tell in terms of getting the information getting people to talk was this more difficult than other stories you had worked on in the past
2: i would say it was definitely more difficult than something that we've worked on in the past Um sexual assault is such a sensitive issue um that it's hard to find um people who are willing to talk about it openly Um, especially victims, which is something that we were trying to get to add a different perspective to our story. Um, And especially in our findings, since a lot of them were very inconclusive because they don't have a way to track um, the effectiveness of the education, it it was difficult to find an angle to come at the story with.
0: So then Laura, what did you wind up doing? Was there a brainstorming session where you were assimilating all of this and trying to figure out how to actually express the story, actually do the storytelling, or talk about that process if you would.
2: Yeah, so we first started by talking to Title IX coordinators um, because they are at every school that receives government funding and they're in charge of reporting sexual assaults on campus and all of that. Um, So they're kind of in charge of the education for that as well. Um, So they were able to tell us what they had in place, how often they were um, implementing it, um, and what students on their campus were receiving it. Um, Then we kind of went into looking at student perspectives and seeing whether students on college campuses thought it was effective, because ultimately it comes down to how it affects them. Um, And then we also looked at reported rapes with Cleary reports, which are ones that only went to police investigations, if I'm remembering correctly. Um, And so with that, we compiled a list of, I think, 25 or so schools in Iowa and uh, had their reported rapes for the last three years. Um, and we were seeing some schools that their numbers went up, some schools their numbers went down, and some kind of fluctuated, so, um, there was, it was hard to find a real trend in that.
0: Tamisha, what was the most difficult thing to you about the reporting itself? Not so much how to process the data, but just in terms of collecting the information.
6: Sure. I think the hardest thing that we ran into was, um, getting enough students that wanted to speak out. since there was only three of us working on the project, I think it was difficult to find students. And like Laura was saying, um, especially with victims, we didn't necessarily gain that perspective, which is something we hoped that we would have.
0: So Brittany, as you have done reporting, compare this project and what you may have learned from the reporting that could help you as you continue practicing the craft of journalism going forward.
5: Um, I definitely think that in the past, I have ne- we've never done something like as big as this. Um, so I had never done so many interviews. But it- I think that as going forward, I will continue to to add on how many people that I will be interviewing for stories um, that I am creating uh, because it just had such a good collection of people and a good collection of like ideas that um, were th- like put into the story because of it. Um, but I know, like, when we do, when I've done um, stories for our weekly newspaper, you know, I was doing, you know, five, six people um, at the most. And now, like, we've done over 30 people. So I think just remembering to, to go out and get as many people as possible is something that we always forget. Um, but we definitely need to remember to do so.
0: And let me ask you each finally, and I'll start with you, Tamisha. When we started this conversation... And I asked you how you found the story idea. And you mentioned Mm -hmm. that you were all three females, and so this was very important as a story to tell. How difficult was it for you as the journalist to potentially separate yourself from the subject matter or what it was you were reporting? And again, I'll ask you, Tamisha, first.
6: Um, I think at first, going into it, it was pretty difficult just because um, it is a very sensitive topic, so it's really hard to distance yourself. Uh, from being passionate from a victim's point or from a different perspective. Um, but I think as we reported and found multiple student voices, it got easier.
0: Brittany, your thoughts, was it difficult to separate any personal feelings from the actual reporting?
5: Uh, it definitely got a little difficult at times, especially like we, I talked to um, you know, a Title IX coordinator and then we had the en- interview from someone from the same school, like a student from the same school. And, like, it was hard to, to like, take myself out of, like, I feel really, not bad, but I feel um, concerned about how the school is handling things um, and, like, take myself out of that and write just about this is what they say is going on.
0: Finally, Laura, your thoughts?
2: Um, I would echo kind of what the other two said as well is it was kind of difficult at first just because it is something that we are passionate about. Um, I've also written about things for our student newspaper in this realm before and so I have found myself frequently more on like an advocate for victims side and so trying to take myself out of that and look strictly at the facts and strictly at what we were finding from interviews and um, from data was a bit challenging at times.
0: But good experience to have nonetheless Ladies, thank you so much for taking the time to do the work, first of all, and to talk with us about it. And congratulations not only on the story, but the completion of a college career.
2: <laughs> Thanks so
0: thank much. Thank you. Tamisha Derby from Grinnell, Iowa. Brittany Johnson from Crescent, Iowa. And Laura Wiersma from Fulton, Illinois. All May 2018 graduates of Simpson College in Indianola. And you can read their reporting on this topic at iowawatch.org. And that brings us to the close of this week's program. We're back again next week at this same time. In the meantime, you can connect with us online, iowawatch.org. Click on the Iowa Watch Connection tab at the top of the page to listen to all or part of this program again or a list of stations that carry the program and more, iowawatch.org. Follow us on Twitter at IowaWatch, and be sure to use the hashtag IAWatchConnection when commenting on the program. We're on Facebook, too, facebook.com slash IowaWatch. And you can let us know your thoughts about this program or suggest ideas for future programs by email. The address is radio at iowawatch.org. The program is produced in the studios of KXEL Radio, Waterloo, Cedar Falls, Cedar Rapids. I'm Jeff Stein. Thanks for joining us, and we hope you'll make the Iowa Watch connection again next week.